Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Few Your Friend Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we want to welcome you back for your listening pleasure and our speaking pleasure and whatever the hell you want to call this. Uh, this podcast that we love to do so much. Yes, we uh, do. We hope you're having a good week as you listen to this. And, uh, yeah, not real hyperbole about it. We just hope you're doing good. Jim, how you doing? You know, great. Uh, it's been an eventful weekend. Um, my lead and I went to a house party on Friday that we got invited to by some friends, made some new friends, had a really nice time. Nice. Um, just kind of hung out yesterday. We're going to go and have dinner with some friends tonight. Uh, it's just, you know, and again, I'm going to descend into my fucking usual pattern of talking about the weather, but once things get nice outside, I just want to get out and do things. So it's really nice to uh, not be looking at another weekend where I'm just hibernating and just spending the entire weekend in bed. Um, just actually getting up and going out and doing things is, is definitely back on the menu um, <laughs> after a long, hard winter and after, you know, years of not being able to really go out and socialize. Uh, it's time to make up for lost time and get out there and see some friends and do some things. And maybe even see some things and do some friends. You never know. I mean, whatever. Hey, whatever works for you. hi Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing the opposite. I, I spent the entire day yesterday actually hibernating and just, like, not wanting to go out. And I didn't put on more than pajama pants to sit around the hmm. house in. And I stayed and I just, I hacked. I had two uh, 3DSs that I needed to hack, so I hacked those and threw a bunch of games on them and... That's an all-day procedure because it takes forever to install those games. So, but I got three of them now that are hacked and ready to go and doing all the things they're supposed to be doing. So that's nice. It'll be a good break since I get the ones coming from Japan this week sometime. They're doing the things they're supposed that. to be doing and also doing things they were never supposed to do. <laughs> yes, I don't think they were designed to hold that many games in memory. Uh, because they're not designed to go above a 32 gig chip, and they've all got bigger than that in there. So, yeah, well, you know that's uh, that's part of the delight of uh, going back and digging around in the guts of these uh, aging systems. You can put in some minor upgrades, and you've got a whole new thing on your hands, literally. Absolutely, and I'm trying to get them all installed and updated and everything. Because 3ds and the Wii U shop uh, go away as of next year. So the methodology that I use to hack these things goes away as of next year. So I got to get as much of that done now as I can uh, before I have to learn a completely new way to do it. Because yeah, the homebrew it, scene is remarkably resourceful. There'll be another thing on the heels of this, I'm sure. Well, they've got different methods, but this one was is what they call the easy method, and it involves using a game that uh, is a free to download game from the eShop called uh, Pokemon Picross, and uh, there's some kind of exploit using the save files in that that allows this whole thing to happen. And uh, once you're not able to uh, go to the eShop and download Pokemon Picross, then all of a sudden you got to change your methodology. So it'll here's be kind of why I don't feel bad. I mean, I know we've talked about this before. You've talked about how you used to. Uh, you know, you, you have spent sort of like the last couple of years atoning for the fact that you used to pirate comics because, you know, you have some friends who are creators and they made it very clear that piracy does actually hurt the creators. And so that's one of those things that, um, you I know, don't we, do we, anymore. we sort of like, yeah, we went back and realized, hey, this, this is prob more problematic than I realized and I'm going to be better from now on. But part of like the reason why I don't necessarily get too uptight about some of these maybe 
I don't want to say pirated consoles, but they're they're consoles that you can buy from overseas that are just packed with a whole bunch of ROMs that typically maybe they call are them questionable. They call those Famiclones. Is is the yeah. is the parlance for that? They're perhaps of dubious legality, but they they exist in kind of a gray market area, and I don't feel really too badly about those things because I am of the opinion that um, if I can buy something, I will gladly buy it. Right. Um, if I can't buy something, if it's not made available, like Nintendo has kind of come under, not really under fire, but at least under criticism for sort of like piss trickling out uh, <laughs> games on the virtual console on the Switch. And actually, i got to pick your brain here in a little bit because I went to go turn my Switch on the other day and I couldn't get that thing to turn on. It's just, it's not taking a charge, it's not coming really? on, I'm doing all the workaround tricks and the troubleshooting and I just can't get that thing to power up. Um, it's not as tragic as if it was like my... Series X or my PS5, which I actually use a lot more frequently. Uh, the right. Switch is my least used console, but nonetheless, it won't turn on. But when I do play it, I tend to play the virtual console stuff. I, I tend to go back to the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo Entertainment System emulators that are built into that console, and I play games from, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Um, and Nintendo has made a lot of those games available, a lot of really great games on uh, on those virtual consoles, but there are even more games, thousands more, millions more in some cases, that just aren't available, um, mm -hmm. and through official channels. So those are the things that, okay, Nintendo, if you're going to be kind of stingy with the gems, if you're going to dole out your cards and keep the rest of the deck real close to your vest on a real stingy schedule, then I guess I don't feel too terrible about grabbing that stuff that I want to play by whatever means I can. If, if I can't buy them or if I can't make them available to myself officially, then, and I want to play the game, I guess I don't really feel too bad. Nobody's really losing any money in that instance. I mean, if you wanted to release it, I would buy it, but because those games were on cartridges 30, 35 years ago, they've had their sales run. I mean, even if you find them used in a, in a, uh, a second-hand store or like a nostalgia shop and you pick right. up like an old NES cartridge, the original developer is not getting any money from that, so... You know, it, it is kind of a gray area in terms of legality and in terms of morality, I suppose. But in the grand scheme of things, I have this little uh, handheld um, Famiclone, like you said. It's it's kind of got the same form factor as a, as a Game Boy Advance, but it's not. And it's just packed full of thousands of arcade ROMs and a bunch of different uh, rips from different systems over the years. And I have that. Um, and I, I guess I don't really feel too badly about it because most of those games just aren't available any other way. Yeah, and and I, I I'm kind of right in the same area with you. When you when you go to uh, play a bunch of these these old fashioned games, I do end up using the Nintendo Online Switch service or whatever you want to call it, the service that they use, and I do end up going through legitimate channels and paying the legitimate price for what I can. Yeah, uh, I, I even signed up for um, they got an additional. They call it the I think they call it the expansion pack. Uh, for the Nintendo Switch Online. And uh, what that enables you to do is play Genesis games and uh, nice. Nintendo 64 games, a certain selection of Nintendo 64 games as well. And so if there's a legitimate channel for me to do these things, I do it. The same way that I use Comicology to read comic books now and everything like that too. I, I do my best, like you say, to... Uh, not be this super huge pirate guy but when they're taking the channel away the uh yeah. the ability to play these games away unless you have the physical media in which case the physical media is skyrocketing in price because they're taking mm -hmm. this stuff away it kind of you know once again the, the developers have gotten their say already and it kind of i don't i don't i 
feel great about it, but I don't feel as bad as I do like with the comic book industry because they're yeah. still you know, a viable concern. So, no, no matter what it is, comics, music, movies, uh, video games, what have you, I will always do absolutely everything I can to support creators. But in the event that that's just simply not an option, you know, I think I, in talking to a lot of creators, and I've talked to a lot of people who work in a lot of different creative channels of entertainment, and they've kind of they're pragmatic about it. I mean, most of them are like, yeah, I mean, I'd really like you to buy the game, but at the end of the day, if the game's not available through any other channels, it's just, it's also important to me that you enjoy the game. But yeah, like I said, I, I go through the official channels. I, I do what I can. I don't download movies anymore. I don't download comic books anymore, uh, except through reputable legal sources. And so, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's just me making a justification for one thing over the other, but, you know, I'm doing my best. We all do what we can. We pick our battles for sure. Absolutely. But yeah, so I got this, the three of those 3DSs working this weekend, and that's great. And I've got uh, three more 3DSs coming from Japan this week. I'm excited. I got I got the parts to fix this thing before I got it from Japan. So that's really uh, saying something about how slow it's taken for me to get these from Japan. My boy's a 3DS fixing monster. Hopefully. Hopefully I don't fix this one to death. This one's a nice one. It's uh, I've got a 3DS, uh, original 3DS. It's still one of those, like, a hot pink color. And it's like this, it's the old jewel-looking ones. And so it looks really nice on the outside, hopefully. And it's uh, apparently just needs a top screen replacement, which I've not done a top screen replacement. So here's hoping I don't fix it to death. Well, anybody who's ever decided to buy a set of specialty screwdrivers and violate a warranty, and I'm not, I, I definitely <laughs> haven't gotten as deep into it as you have, but I have done my fair share of, of fucking around with electronics, um, you kind of have to accept the responsibility that sometimes you're going to fix things till they break. But, you know, you've, you've been doing a great job with the stuff you've been working on, so I have every confidence you, uh, you won't uh, nerf your investment. I got about 70% uh, rate of success, so I mean that's... Hey man. For as, early as, 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 as early as I am into this, I suppose that's not too bad. And well, only getting uh, better all the time. That's absolutely right. I get to deliver a... I got to go to practice later today, and I get to deliver a, a bright, shiny new Game Boy Color to my uh, guitar player who gave me his old thrashed one and wanted me to fix it up for him. And Nice. Gave it a new shell, a new screen, and uh, the thing is just pristine. It's It's like brand new again. So. Performing a valuable service, uh, which I- exists in stark contrast to something else we wanted to talk about today, which is um, performing a disservice. And uh, I don't. Okay, so it's been kind of a good week for government stuff. And even though you know government and politics is one of my fandoms, we don't really talk about it much. We do talk about social issues, and I don't think anybody who's ever heard us talk about social issues, things like you know, uh, being uh, an ally of the LGBT community and uh, not being racists and being anti-racist and and, and hoping that, uh, you know, human beings actually have human rights. And you can't see it right now because this is an audio medium, but my boy Saint's wearing a shirt that says, drink water, love hard, fight racism. Yep. And we've had this discussion before, that it's not enough to just not be racist, you have to be anti-racist. And we've, we've talked about that before, confronting people oh. in our spheres about being awful, awful people. Um, but still, I mean, we actually got confirmation this week that the first African-American woman is going to be a Supreme Court justice, which is a massive victory for, for super, progressivism. Super I can't believe it took until 2022. 
Right. But in the meantime, you still have this movement, and I say movement in the sense of bowel movement out bowel there movement. in society, <laughs> that is doing everything they can to just be as awful as possible in the wake of the former guy having made stuff like that political and fashionable to a certain segment of society. Now, if you're paying attention to the news, you know that the uh, January 6th commission is making all kinds of discoveries about things like uh, uh, the, the smartest of Donald Trump's sons, which is kind of like being the, uh, you know, the, the ugliest kid at, uh, at, at no, I got it back. I don't want to say the, fat, the thinnest kid at Fat Cap. We're going to cut that part out. Um, yeah, you know what? I will say that because I'm a fat person. I can get away with saying that. <laughs> it's kind of like being the uh, being Donald Trump's smartest kid. It's kind of like being the the skinniest kid at fat camp, which I'm not body shaming. I can say that because I do identify as a fat. But nonetheless, I mean, he's been giving uh, getting all kinds of attention for having sent uh, text messages back and forth to other administration members about um, how they have all the control over being able to overturn the election, which is significant not only because it definitely is an indicator of actual treasonous behavior. But it's also an indicator that all of their indicate that, that all of their insistence that oh we really actually won the election they knew they were full of shit they knew they didn't they were saying that not only didn't we win the election but we're going to actively engage in in criminal activity as a means of overturning it. So not only were they shitheads about it but they were actively disingenuous on top of it, which is just a legal failing and a moral shocking but, to say the least. But. That's not what I wanted to talk about. That's just pretext to the fact that anybody who's been a driver, who's actually been out there behind the wheel of a car and had to gas up their car, knows that gas prices are slightly out of control right now. And that has to do with a lot of factors. Mostly it's price gouging because the oil companies are greedy as fuck. And because inflation is kind of up across the board, the oil companies are saying, gosh, our hands are tied, and they're jacking up gas prices to astronomical levels, and then turning around and reporting that they are uh, getting record profits for the you know first and second quarters of the year. Um, so that's also disingenuous and potentially illegal, but whatever. But the point that I'm trying to make is that if you've been driving and if you put gas in your car at any point, chances are you've been confronted by one of these pieces of shit, I did that, bumper sticker things that people slap onto gas pumps with Joe Biden pointing at the price window on the gas pump as though the president has a lever on his desk that he can just move up or down that has direct control over what gas prices do. Pull the lever, crunk. Which, if you're somebody who actually believes that, you, I don't know how you tie your shoes and drive a car to begin with. I really don't. How do you feed yourself? How do you get put clothes on in the morning? How, if you're that stupid that you think the president controls gas prices. Look, I, you I, know, I, I just, was I not the biggest fan of Donald Trump. Uh, I'm going to be the no. first to admit that. But I Hell's did not blame no. him for the astronomical gas prices when it hit in his term. I didn't Especially blame because there's so many other legitimate things you prices. could blame him well, for. Right, exactly. You know, I didn't blame Obama for the gas prices. I didn't blame. Uh, I haven't blamed anyone except Bush, and that was way back because of the Gulf War thing. But that was before. There I was a direct line of, of of logic to be drawn there. Right. But this whole. But, I mean, I actually. Yeah, we were talking about this a little bit before we we popped the microphones on. But I have a bottle opener on my keychain. It's one of those spade-style bottle openers. It's got like a, a place, it's, it's like a flange shape with a, a nice metal end on it. And um, every time that I see one of those asinine bumper stickers on a gas pump, I, I 
put my nozzle in the tank of my car, I start that bitch up, and then I scrape that son of a bitch off the pump. Not just because it's objectionable to me from a moral standpoint, but also because that is straight up fucking illegal. Um, the state has to have a clear front on the gas pumps so that the person who's in charge of weights and measures, which is an official government position, if you look on the front of the bumper sticker, the only stickers, I'm sorry, if you look on the front of the gas pump, the only sticker you should see on it is the certification from the weights and measures person who's appointed by the state to make sure that when you pay for a gallon of gas, you're actually getting a gallon of gas. And any other stickers or graffiti or any of that shit that somebody slaps in the front of a bumper sticker is technically illegal it's defacing vandalism. it's it's vandalism it is vandalism and i just saw an article a couple of days ago and i'm going to be uh reading here from news channel 8 which is a uh a pennsylvania nbc affiliate a pennsylvania man is facing charges after he allegedly posted anti-biden gas stickers on a gas pump thomas richard glashevsky and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but fuck him, so I don't care. 54 <laughs> of Manor Township was charged with resisting arrest, disorderly conduct, harassment, and criminal mischief. The incident was captured in video by Aaron Phillips, who recorded the arrest where Glashevsky can be heard yelling expletives and, I did that, I did that, that's what I did, pointing to anti-Biden stickers at the pump. A gas station employee told authorities that Glashevsky had sprayed the stickers with a substance to make the stickers harder to remove, charging documents obtained by Lancaster Online say. Reports and documents say Glashevsky Glashevsky was upset about the price of gas and President Joe Biden. A police complaint says Glashevsky had to be placed in the police vehicle by force. <laughs> so not only are these idiots so stupid that they think the president controls gas prices, they're buying stickers to put on gas pumps, which is illegal, and then they're spraying shit over top of it to make sure that somebody like me can't come along and scrape it off with my bottle opener or my keychain, and then they're resisting arrest when they get justifiably put... I mean, that's the layers of idiocy. The, the, the moron parfait that has to happen for all of these things to happen all at once. It's, just, it's, it's fucking mind-boggling, but it's not surprising given just how badly... Trump dragged the collective IQ of this country into the goddamn toilet. What are you? An idiot sandwich. Now, I've not... I've seen the Joe Biden ones. I've also seen those ones with Kamala Harris laughing. And I want to say I saw one with... Uh, uh, it wasn't Elizabeth Warren. I'm not sure. Maybe it was Nancy Pelosi. Could be, uh, yeah. And they're all doing... Because the if there's thing, anything yeah. they hate more than, than people of color and, and uh, LGBTQ people, it's women. Mm. But, as you say, uh, they, they, on the one hand, you say that they're harder to scrape off. I, I say nay-nay because, I'll tell you what, I use the back end of the gas card for the company gas card that I use all the time. And <laughs> come, those bitches come right off. Half the time they're made of... I'll give them credit. Half the time these stickers are made of that nice metal foil... Yeah. And they just come right off all in one piece, and I just throw it on the ground and stomp on it. So, uh, yeah, they, well, that's the only come, thing that really makes come any off sense. Pretty good. And again, I'm not saying this to be political, because I mean, I let me let me tell you like this: I'm not the hugest fan of presidents in general. Okay, I don't go right. out and set up this cult of personality around a fucking politician. That's just identity not how politics. I do. Sure, I think there are some that are better than others, worse than others. Uh, <coughs> Donald Trump. But yep. the fact of the matter is, is they're supposed to be serving us. We're not supposed to be serving them. And so building a cult of personality around these people makes no bloody sense to me. They're hired to do a job. And yeah. 
I just, I feel like this MAGA cult or whatever you want to call it, these QAnon bastards who just, who throw these stickers up and everything are just really so far gone and beyond the point that, you know, it doesn't do any good to try and lecture to them anymore because they don't get it. So I you can't I reason with them. You can't if they understood reason, reason they wouldn't stupid. have their, their viewpoints. You can't. Right, that's like trying to convince a flat earther that the earth is round. It's just not going to happen. They, they can't see past their own myopic worldviews. So uh, I don't even bother anymore. I'm just, I'm over the whole thing in general. So, but you're right. I do enjoy scraping these stickers off because it's not only is it vandalism, but it's willful ignorance. And if there's one thing I can't stand, it's willful ignorance. Like, vandalism in service of a point. Like, if somebody, if there's a blank wall and they hire a mural artist to put up some, you know, community unifying message of hope, some rallying point of, of, of political or, or social responsibility, fine. I actually have done some freelance work for a guy who's a graffiti artist in Los Angeles, and he's got a clothing line, and he's his whole message is just positivity, and, and that kind of stuff is great. But to be so stupid, to be seat? so far gone, that you, uh, I, I, I'll never tell I'll never tell, because uh, when the checks show up, they actually have a name on them, and you know I've been—I had to sign an NDA. But um, yeah, if you're gonna commit vandalism in the, in the, the name of of being so fucking stupid that you think the president controls gas prices, I just—I have no patience for you, and I will yeah. scrape those things off every chance I possibly get. Yeah, and to be fair, I would do the same thing if it was the other way around, just because again, it's willful ignorance and it's just woefully stupid. Yeah, it yeah. is woefully stupid. Can't support the woefully stupid. Now, that's not going to be the topic of the conversation. That's just something we thought we'd throw out there. Another, co- There's a couple other things I want to get to before we uh, we jump into the main topic of today. One of them, and this is just a throwaway thing. I saw this at a grocery store the other day. And I don't want to say it blew my mind because we've talked about uh, food alternatives and food substitutes and how exciting uh, technology is going into the food markets. Um, I had an Impossible Burger at Burger King a couple of months ago, and if you hadn't told bad. me it was an Impossible Burger, I don't know yeah. that I would have known necessarily. It's not bad. It just tastes like the regular flame broiled shit that they churn out. So, yeah, so um, the meat alternatives are uh, pretty uh, pretty acceptable. Have now. not gotten around to trying the uh, the Impossible Nuggets at at uh, KFC, but that's just because I don't really eat at KFC all that often. Yeah. Uh, not anymore. I used to a lot, but I became a Popeyes guy, so. Uh, unless KFC wants to sponsor us and go back and listen to our episode where we talked about all their funky shit. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of tend to, to gravitate more towards Popeye's. Or we got a local chain up here called Azelle's. And, and Azelle's has just the most amazing fried chicken, so I'll go there. But uh, Yeah, if there's anything that inspires a whole lot of regional loyalty, it's fried chicken. I know people who are Bojangles devotees, people who are Zaxby's devotees. I've never uh, had Zaxby's. I've heard good things. You know, I actually I lived in Virginia for a little while. I, I worked at a, a company down there. I had a year contract working in the marketing company of a household name, Banking Giant, which shall remain unnamed, but it rhymes with uh, Frappital Sun. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, I had the, the, Virginia being ostensibly the South um, does What's have quite a few wallet? of the regional chicken chains. Yeah, yeah. H, no, yeah, NDAs. Um, What's in your wallet? But yeah, they do have. They had a Bojangles. They had a Zaxby's. They had KFC. Uh, they had Chick Fil A, which again, without delving too much into political stuff, I avoided like the plague. Even though that statement doesn't really make any sense anymore because nobody avoids the plague if you're stupid. Um, 
But yeah, <laughs> I, there are a lot of, of regional chicken chains, and some are just plain better than others. But I have to say, like in the ridiculous sort of like chicken sandwich wars that went on a couple of years ago, um, Popeyes, in my humble opinion, did put up the best showing. Their chicken sandwich was a thing of fucking beauty. Absolutely. And, uh, okay, so I, I was at the grocery store the other day, and, and like I said, I keep an eye on these uh, emerging meatless products just because I'm really interested in the technology and the science behind it all and the sustainability behind it all. Now, that being said, I am still a dyed-in-the-wool uh, omnivore. I will eat whatever you put in front of me. That's just, yes. that's just what I am. And uh, they have... Uh, Beyond Meat Jerky now. Hmm. And it comes in, you know, the one I saw was just in the, in the little like 3.5 ounce package and it looked uh, like jerky. And I, I've seen also online they have like a mushroom based jerky too. Where they do like, you know how they use uh, portobello mushrooms as like beef substitute and, and things like that for like oh, burgers yeah. and sandwiches and things like I've that. I've had a couple of different like portobello cap sandwiches that were just, I mean, out of this world. Amazing. I used to work at a yeah. renaissance fair where they had a portobello cap sandwich on a ciabatta bun and that shit was delicious. Did you call it ciabatta? Yeah. Ciabatta. Yeah, ciabatta. Ciabatta. Right, that's what I said, ciabatta. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but uh yeah uh, so i mean i've i've not had the uh the fortitude to pick it up yet that's not to say i'm not gonna it's just at that point i was kind of on a budget so i didn't uh grab it when i saw it but i'm a baller on a budget bitch beyond meat jerky what do you think of that um for the same reasons that you said sustainability um this country, well, the world in general, but especially this country, overconsumes meat. And I understand saying that, that I fully am part of the problem. Oh, yeah. The factory farm system is problematic. Um, meat consumption definitely contributes to heart disease. It, it, it's an issue. But I, I still eat it, and I'm still going to eat it. I apologize to any vegans or vegetarians who listen. Um, I don't know if we have any, but I, I, I'm sorry. I know meat's politically problematic, and it's environmentally problematic. But, I mean... I've kind of backed off of red meat a little bit, mostly because um, my lady has a red meat allergy, so uh, pork oh, no. and beef are kind of like, they're not off the menu for me, but it's just like whenever we go out to eat, you know, I don't want to be like, I'm going to get down on a giant Italian beef sandwich. I still do sometimes. She's great. She doesn't make me feel bad about it. It's not like, how dare you eat that in front of me? But like, I haven't, even before we started seeing each other, I still like was not necessarily into, I was trying to back off of red meat a little bit. I eat a lot of chicken. I eat fish a lot. Um, just because I'm trying to be healthier, and it has made a difference in the overall, uh, my energy levels, and, and uh, I'd say 90% of my protein comes from chicken, but I still do dive into a steak, I still do get down on a burger once in a while, um, but to me, anything that kind of gets you to that meat place, but doesn't have quite as much of an impact on the environment, because one of the biggest arguments that I've heard in favor of vegetarianism and veganism is a compelling one, that if you grow a field of vegetables, you can eat the vegetables and the impact on the environment is minimal. But if you grow a field of feed to then feed a, a livestock animal that you then have to slaughter and process, um, the, the cost involved in that uh, from an environmental standpoint, because obviously, um, you know, the, the, the machines to process these things use a certain amount of energy. Um, if we're really going to get under brass tacks, cows fart... <laughs> and the methane from cow farts are definitely greenhouse gases. They've proven that. So as the demand for meat either 
stays consistent or rises, it definitely has an environmental impact. So if we can come up with some kind of lab-grown or meat alternative that is plant-based that that gets you to the place where meat does from like a flavor and texture standpoint i'm absolutely in favor of it like i said i actually had i don't know if it was the beyond or the impossible burger i think it might have been impossible at burger king whichever one whichever particular brand uh, of the big two possible yeah well they aligned with the impossible folks and i have had the impossible whopper uh i've actually had it more than once um just because i it's pretty good yeah it's it's it is it's pretty good um, it's practically it's, it's a viable meat substitute. Yeah, again, it, and I'm a super taster, and if you hadn't told me this is not actually meat, I would not have been able to tell. So texture-wise, uh, it's right them. there, and 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 they've got the uh, that smoke that they add to it, that weird uh, yeah, uh, flame broil taste. Just is looks like of, beef, smells like beef, tastes like yeah. beef, feels like beef. I mean, I don't have right. a problem with it at all. And it, whatever we can do that can lessen the environmental impact of something, I already feel like mildly guilty about doing. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, I don't know, and I have to say, and this this is this is going to make me send enemies. I have to say oh. that when I think about eating meat, um, I, I definitely think about the environmental impact. I think about the the energy cost. I think about all that. And hate me if you want, but I'm a little less concerned about animal rights. And that's a shitty, shitty thing to say. Um, I really, it's not like I, I, I'm. Oh yes, murder all the animals for for my benefit so that I can put meat into my. It's not like I don't I don't care about animals. I do care about animals, uh, and some of the conditions of some of these factory farms are egregious. I'm just saying that like, it's a little further down the list. I don't eat veal because that's a little bit too far gone for me. Um, but yeah. you know, I mean, I live in Wisconsin for fuck's sake. I drive past huge pastures of cows, and. Maybe they meet a brutal end so that I can have a ribeye, but I don't see them suffering too much. I mean, most of these animals are out there just in the grass. They're grazing. Um, you know, if they if, if the cows didn't get milked, they would explode. If the steers didn't get uh, uh, slaughtered for beef once they reached a ripe old age, they probably wouldn't be living to begin with. So, again, it's one of those things, Kyle, like you talked about earlier with the piracy. I can sort of, like, put all kinds of rationalizations and justifications on it to make it okay in my head. But um, you know, I, it's 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 less of a concern to me. There's, there's the environmental concerns. impact affects everybody. They're, 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 in terms of like priorities of, of why I think sometimes, yeah, I probably shouldn't eat as much meat. It's a little bit further down. Maybe that makes me a monster. If you listen to that, you hate me. I, <laughs> I totally understand. I, I admit that that's a problematic way to think. I admit that. But I'm also not going to stop eating cheeseburgers. I'm sorry, cheeseburgers are delicious, and they'll always be delicious. It's pretty funny that we're talking about this because. Uh... John Champion, friend of ours, John Champion, uh, yep. host of the Mission Log podcasts, among other things, uh, good friend of the show. Uh, they, he, and his co-host Norman do uh, they do a, a, a an April Fools' podcast every year, and yes. uh, like last year it was uh, an entire episode dedicated to the Love Boat, and they just treated it like it was <laughs> another episode that they just. They've always done it, and it's like, oh, this is episode like 95 of the Love Boat podcast. And and uh, this year what they did was they did a podcast about uh, vegan bacon. And they were doing the for and against on vegan bacon, and it got real heated, and it was all like improv shit. It was super hilarious. And, and uh, a lot of these same arguments came up. The rationalization of meat is murder and things like that came up, and... It was it was super funny. I, I definitely implore you all to go check out Mission Log podcast on Facebook, or you could find them wherever you find fine podcasts. Uh, Mission yes. Log is 
definitely one of my weekly go-to podcasts to this day. I still listen to it. It is one of the better ones out there, for sure. But uh, be that as it may. So, yeah, I, I probably will go back to the store and end up picking up a package of this uh, uh, Beyond yeah, Meat Jerky just to give it a try and see what uh, the deal is. And I will report back to y'all after I do that. Probably next week I'll try be, I'll probably have a report for you guys on that. So yeah, I'll be stay tuned of it. for that. So, now we do actually have a topic of conversation we want to get to, and uh, we're going to let Jim explain this, because this was his brainchild. It came to him in a dream, and and, uh, we're going to go from there. So, Jim, take it away. Yeah, uh, my boy Saint does most of the heavy lifting for this podcast, and I will give him all due credit for that. Uh, He'll hit me up and say, here's what we're going to talk about this week, and I'm like, cool. But uh, this week, he's like, you know, it's been a a week at work, and I'm I'm a little bit uh, having a hard time braining today. So why don't you actually get off your fat, lazy ass for a change and come up with a topic for this week's podcast? He didn't say that. Say that. He didn't say that. I won't. I'll. I'll, You know, I say that jokingly. He would never say that. Um, But I thought about it and. We talk a lot about specific fandoms, whether we're talking about Star Trek or a particular video game series or what have you, but like speaking in broader terms of just fandom in general, it occurred to me that fandom is a thing that evolves sometimes, and that's okay. And what I thought about was sometimes you might not be a fan of a specific thing, and I'm not talking like music or comic books or movies, not, not that broad, but like... You might not be a fan of a certain band, or of a certain television show, or of a certain right. actor, or what have you, and then somewhere along the line something changes, and suddenly you wake up one day, or you maybe see something or hear something that gives you an appreciation of this person, this album, this comic book series, this video game, what have you, and you sort of like a thing that you're either indifferent to or maybe even actively disliked before, suddenly you're into it. Or it goes the other way, where... I'm all about this thing, and then over time, maybe you kind of grow out of it, or your personal interests change, or maybe the quality of it declines, and you kind of grow away from it. But that is kind of the nature of fandom. Some things you get into at a very early age, and you're about it for life. My boy's into Star Trek, because he the on-ramp to that came very early in your nerd development. Um, true. I'm a huge fan of video games. Or, like, I, I was born a Queen fan because my mom used to put the headphones on her, her, her baby <laughs> bump and listen to Queen albums, and so I'll always be a Queen fan. But there are other things that I used to like a lot and kind of don't anymore, or there's other things that I was sort of like kind of cool on initially that I eventually came to develop an appreciation for. And that's kind of the, the, the meat of the discussion today, what we wanted to talk about. Um, not just that concept in general, but also maybe some specific things that both Saint and I have either liked, and then not so much, or not so much, and then liked. And um, I definitely had a couple things I wanted to talk about, but having introduced the idea, um, I kind of wanted to uh, seed the floor and see what on that sort of fandom evolution topic uh, might be in your wheelhouse. Well, that's it's a funny thing you mentioned that because like just last week, uh, I'm, I, I got it right here in my hands actually. Uh, just last week, I was talking to my wife about how uh, there's these bands that I've listened to like passively, and mm-hmm. and we talked before the show. You were mentioning uh, like U two is one of yours that you listen to kind yeah. of passively but never really had an active interest in. Um, one of the bands that I've listened to for a lot of years and and never really. Uh, got super into but they have a huge cult following is rush yeah and uh i i've only recently started getting into rush i i've never really got into them i know that they've got a huge cult following and they're they're 
They're, they're fantastic musicians, of course, Neil Peart being one of the greatest on drums ever. But no I lies never, at all. I never got into it, and I don't know why. I just never really sucked myself into it. But look at this. Ooh, white vinyl. White Sharp. vinyl. Isn't that nice? Very nice. But I, I've been looking for Rush albums lately because I've been uh, on my Spotify. They have this thing on Spotify where you can uh, enhance your playlist. Enhance. 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 Just print the damn thing! And what the Enhanced playlist does is it's just like, it seeks out what you've got on your playlist. And it's like, yeah. oh, you're like that, well, you're going to love this. And it throws its suggestions in. And and so it's been doing a lot of that. And I've been finding a lot of really cool tunes that I like. And so a lot of rushes can come up. And I've been really getting down to it and, and, and enjoying it. And I don't know if that's just every rocker gets older and starts appreciating the things in the past that they didn't really get into. But... I've really been super into Rush this last couple of weeks, and and yeah, those suggestion albums uh, algorithms are are, uh, are are a little bit too spot on sometimes. Whether it's Amazon <laughs> or whether it's Rush, you know, other people who enjoyed this also like this, and I'm like, first of all, fuck you for digging around in my brain, and second of all, yes, I'm going to buy that. Um, yeah, but yeah, fucking, Rush is definitely right. one of those bands. I hate it when they're yeah. right. Rush is one of those bands. I I don't know if I'm not. I, I would never be so up my own ass pretentious to say you have to have achieved a certain level of age or maturity to appreciate Rush, but I think there's, there's a certain Start sounding like a Rick and a certain... Morty fan. Yeah. Yeah. You, don't, you just there, don't get you, it. Oh, I'm sorry, maybe that's a little too advanced for you. You know, but Rush, they're a little mathy. They have some definite themes in their lyrics that are uh, a little bit above the heads of maybe somebody who quite isn't quite there in their lives yet, so Rush is definitely one of those bands. I like them very much. Um... They've done some great shit, and obviously, like you said, Neil Peart is one of the best drummers to ever live, and as a drummer, I can, you know, and, and you also are a musician, we, we feel qualified to make those statements. Um, but like you mentioned, like U2, like U2 is another band that was just always around. I mean, they, they kind of came on the scene in the early 80s, by the time I was sort of like waking up into the person I was going to be, uh, I'm a Gen Xer, and so uh, 80s music definitely figures very heavily into my musical development, and I was always aware of U2, never disliked U2, but was never like a huge fan of theirs, I mean, their, their stuff would come on and I wouldn't turn it off, but right. I wasn't like buying merchandise or records or going to their concerts or anything. But then at some point, I don't know what happened, a little switch flipped in my head and I woke up with an appreciation of U2. And even songs that before they come on the radio, like, uh, you know, Where the Streets Have No Name or Stuff and Found I'm Looking For or some of their sort of like greatest 80s hits, um, I, I maybe heard those a couple of times. I was like, yeah, that's fine. But then all of a sudden, at some point, I just really was like, yeah, this is a fucking fantastic song. And yeah. everything these guys do is really, really good. And I don't, I, I can't attribute that to an experience. Sometimes music, music for me is it either hits me or doesn't. Music is a very emotional medium. And there are some things that are technically awesome pieces of music that I just can't get into because they didn't strike me emotionally and other things that are maybe simplistic or even kind of crap but I love them because they happen to come along at a time in my life when I needed that particular message or something really great happened while it was on the radio and it was a soundtrack of your life kind of moment and I can't really pin that down to you too but something just changed somewhere and I actually really like you too now still probably not to the point that I would necessarily spend thousands of dollars on a floor ticket for one of their shows but if somebody had a ticket and wanted to invite me along, I would definitely go. I have definitely bought their albums. Um, yeah, so that's just one of those I, bands that it kind of took me a while to come around to. I was, I, never big on you, I was never big on U2 either. I, I did buy the iPod when it came out, that black and red iPod that they had. And sure. That was less because it was U2 and more because black and red are my favorite colors. But Girl, same. 
they had the uh, that whole scandal when they just magically <laughs> uploaded uh, a new album to everybody's iPhone and. It's like, hey, hey guess what, all you iPhone users? You'll get our new album. Here it is. It's for you. It's free. Well, we didn't no. ask for that. Well, why wouldn't you want that? I mean, it's free. Yeah, but like, that's a it's little bit of a violation shit. of privacy. <laughs> I feel the same I way. I mean, that I think you, you, know, you kind of have to be Bono to be like, who wouldn't want my new album? I mean, he's a little bit pretentious, but whatever. Bit, but, uh, and I had kind of a similar experience now. Uh, back uh, when I started being a musician, I had started off as a. Uh, and this is like 17, 18 years ago, whatever it was now, uh, 16 years ago. I don't know. It's been a long time. But uh, I, I was doing uh, Top 40 cover and, and stuff like that. And uh, uh, my, my previous band had, had kind of fallen apart when the drummer decided to up and sell his gear. And Fucking that was drummers. it. That was it. Fucking drummers, you know. But uh, so I was in comp- I was in uh, contact with another guy, a friend of mine uh, named Jamie, and Jamie and I had known each other for like a dozen years. He was a fencing instructor at one point, and uh, he was one of the guys who taught me how to do sword fighting. So, which is another one of my uh, previous hobbies that I no longer get into, which we can discuss later. But he, uh, me and him, started trying to put together another band to do the same thing: top forty cover, you know, things like sure. that. And we look at each other at a, we, we were doing a rehearsal with each other and there was a, we were trying out some guitar players and we weren't having a whole lot of luck with guitar players. Uh, and we look at each other and we just kind of both talk about it and, and we're like, I swear to God, if I have to sing one more Nickelback song, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put a fucking bullet in my head. Look at this photograph. And, oh God. And that's not to say anybody who listens to Nickelback whatever they, that's your thing i i implore you to continue to use that as your thing I'm you're absolutely shit, able to have your preferences no matter how wrong they may be i'm not here to shit on your fandoms but i'll do it uh, for you the idea that i i didn't want to do any more of that and, and he starts noodling around with this bass riff and i'm like that's really tasty i like that what is that and he goes oh that's tool and I was not a huge Tool fan at that point. I'd heard a song or two on the radio. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and Tool is very bass heavy. So uh, yes, uh, he's he's obviously got more influence in that. He was obviously much more versed in that. And so I'm like, yeah, let's do that instead. I like that a lot. And that's before I realized how mathy and horrible and complicated most of that tool shit really was but i mean we, i being in a tool cover band that's just a that's a special kind of self-torture you really have to be committed to that shit and i know that you did it for quite a long time Almost i uh, i was in a band the, the band that i'm in now uh the bass player of this band chris um the band is called rust bucket rust bucket the band on facebook if you want to look us up um, he and I were in a band previous to this called Crunchhead, and we did a pretty similar sort of list of, of kind of like 90s alt-rock. That band was ill-fated, it kind of fell apart, but he and I had, had a second chance to kind of get things together. I was, in the drummer, I was the drummer in the previous band, this band I'm singing in, um, so kind of shifted around a little bit there. But I was the drummer in the other band, and we played a couple of Tool songs. We played Prison Sex, Sober, and Stink Fist, and... Oh boy, uh, I've been playing drums since I was nine years old, and these days I'm fucking elderly as hell, so it's been great many years that I've been playing drums, and that shit was a challenge. I mean, most of the time I can listen to a drum part, and I'm not saying I'm God's gift of percussion, I'm, I'm, I'm mediocre at best, but most drum parts aren't that complicated. I can listen to a song once or twice through and pretty much get the part down. Um, that's, that's the nice thing about being a drummer, 
if you're a guitar player, you kind of have to look at charts or you have to like check out you know chords or, or tabulature or something because a lot of the time guitar parts tend to be a little impenetrable unless you got perfect pitch. But drum parts, if you listen to it, a bass drum is always a bass drum, a snare drum is always a snare drum. Tom fills cymbals. It's pretty self-evident what somebody's hitting. If you're listening to drum parts, you can kind of listen to it and puzzle it out. It doesn't take too long. Not too challenging. But uh, holy fuck, Danny carries parts. Danny carries oh, parts yeah. on those Tool songs. Oh Monsters. my god, I mean, it took me months, months to get Stink Fist down to the point where I wasn't humiliating myself every time I picked the sticks up on it. That that shit is difficult. We had a point where we went through quite a few drummers with the Tool Tribute Band. Like I said, we did that for almost yeah. five years. Uh, our first drummer, uh, right guy, uh, we just kind of clashed personality-wise every now and again and Fucking got drummers. to a point where we couldn't get along, and so he kind of split and... We hired another guy. Uh, we actually went on uh, the radio station up in Seattle and and had mentioned that we were between drummers and uh, that we had people calling in to audition to be a drummer for the band. And, and so uh, we got our second drummer over the radio and then he turned out to be kind of a uh, method. Okay, we'll just say it. Method. That's too bad. But uh, he's I mean, a method he's actor. A <laughs> method actor. <laughs> uh but he acted like a meth head so whatever but uh we i mean we went through quite a few drummers and and one of the times when we were auditioning drummers i think it was like the third or the fourth time i don't know but uh because as you say danny carey is such a very particular kind of drummer oh yeah um we had this guy come in and i don't know if you know anything about tool but tool is anything but four four time tool is oh, all God. over the time signature map I mean, to the point where they actually wrote a song using the Fibonacci sequence as their time signature pattern. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about math rock. First mm-hmm. of all, you got to understand what the Fibonacci sequence is. And then you have to write a song that uses that pattern, and they did that. And it's a fucking killer track on top of it. So, yeah, all props to Tool. So we brought this guy in, and I don't want to name his name because I don't want to embarrass him. I doubt he's listening, but uh, we called him the Jalapeno. And uh, he auditioned, but he couldn't break 4-4 time. So he's sitting there trying to put Tool into this jazzy 4-4 time. And I think he was a jazz drummer at one point because he's all very jazzy, upbeat shit. But that is not what Tool is. I mean, he's a perfectly wonderful guy. He was a really cool dude, and it just did not work out. He was just, he couldn't do it. And and some musicians yeah, can't. Some musicians can't break out of a particular time signature, and that's fine. Find your niche and stick with it. But Danny Carey, Neil Peart, these guys are very, very particular in their peculiarity i should say so. yeah Prague is known for that Prague is known for being mathy it's known for bizarre time signatures and uh even though uh rush is prog rock and tool is prog metal there's definitely there's a reason why Prague comes first in both of those uh appellations is because it's just it, there's a certain amount of of math you got to do to uh to really put that together but yeah so like tool or you two or like all these bands i'm not saying again like you got to have reached a certain maturity level but <laughs> i kind of did personally i'm not saying everybody across the board but i kind of had to grow into it uh but then there's other things that i've grown out of that are kind of sad sometimes but like when i was a kid i was super into horror movies i was like a huge fan of like freddy krueger i watched all of the uh the the nightmare on elm street movies i watched all the friday the 13th movies 
Um, and I think it, it kind of goes hand in hand with right around the same time when I was super into like hardcore gangster rap music. And I think both of those things kind of came from me just looking for an outlet because I grew up in such a very small rural town. I grew up in Mayberry and my dad was a cop and things were very safe and very uh, sanitized a little bit. And I think probably part of me just craved a little bit of danger at a safe distance. So I listened to urban poets talk about how hard things were in their neighborhoods and even though I couldn't identify, I kind of wanted a, a window into that world so I could kind of see how people who weren't like me lived, and I found that to be interesting, and, and, uh, and, and I, I definitely got into that from that perspective. Um, and then horror movies being the same thing, I actually had a whole section of my, my bedroom wall that had, like, you know, pull-out posters from Fangoria magazine, and, uh, you know, I bought, like, big Freddy Krueger posters, and I put those up, and that was a thing. Um... And then I kind of grew out of it. Um, I haven't really seen a horror movie in a while. I think the last horror movie that I saw um, was A Quiet Place. I didn't see the second one. I saw the first one. But I haven't seen good. the second one yet. I've seen the first um, one. I haven't seen the second one yet. Oh, wait. That's actually a lie. Uh, I did just recently watch um, Studio 666, which is more of a comedy than a horror movie. It's a horror comedy. I did, I did go to the theater to watch that. Uh, R.I.P. Taylor Hawkins, that's another podcast. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into drummers on this one, but that was a hard one. Um, but it was a good movie, even though it didn't really do well at the box office, which kind of freaks me out because the Foo Fighters are, even now, the biggest band in the world, I think. Biggest rock band in the world, certainly. Um, but yeah, I did go and see that. But apart from that, like I haven't seen, I haven't willfully gone to see a horror movie in a while. And I think part of the reason that I did see Studio 666 and that I did watch um, A Quiet Place... Um, is because, you know, uh, horror movies used to have killers with some personality, whether it was Leatherface or whether it was Pinhead or what have you. We've talked about horror movies uh, on the podcast before. But I think at a certain point, um, I want to say the late 90s, early 2000s, kind of, in order to push the envelope a little bit, the gore porn thing kind of took off with Eli Roth stuff and, um, Rob Zombie. you know, sort of like The Hostel and, yeah, and Rob Zombie and, like, a lot of these, like, sort of, like, Saw, you know, I, I don't, I didn't. Horror movies used to be kind of about suspense, and if there was any blood or if there was any murder, it was kind of shocking. And uh, but it was more about suspense and sort of like jump scares. And then after a while, it just kind of became about how how much, you know, how how many uh, innards can we splash on the screen? And <laughs> I, I watched Hostel, and that was so just gross. It was scary, but it was also gross. I was like, God, this is awful. Why am I watching this? To the point where that kind of cured me of my... It's like sending the kid out back behind the barn. Oh, you want to smoke? Well, you're going to get down this whole pack of Dutch Masters and we're going to cure you <laughs> of that proclivity. I kind of watched Hostel and was like, yeah, I'm kind of done with horror movies for a while. Um, to the point where I can think in the last 15 years I've seen two. So I just kind of got over that. Which also kind of dovetails into another thing that I kind of grew out of a little bit, which I'll talk about in a second. But uh, what's your take on the on the, on the horror movie thing? Uh, I've, I've always kind of been kind of medium level on horror movies. I'll watch them, I won't watch them. I've never been a, a super diehard fan. Um, I like what I like. I, I really enjoy... I like Rob Zombie's horror movies just because I like Rob Zombie, I think. He's a fantastic uh, artist, and I, I like him as a director because he definitely has that that B movie schlock sensibility, which I really dig. But uh, as far as like having a particular uh, uh, fandom for like Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees or things like that, I've never really been super huge into it. I used to have a real thing for Chucky. I, I really enjoyed <laughs> because because it was Chucky was just so tongue in cheek. 
Chuck, you showed up on a very hilarious SNL sketch last night as well. So I heard uh, about that, that up online. Yeah, I haven't watched that very one funny. Yet, but but yeah, I've never I've never been the biggest horror fan. I mean, I've enjoyed it from time to time, but it's just not my particular go to. And the horror thing dovetails into a little bit, and this is this is maybe one of my most sort of like shameful confessions in terms of like oh i've got a shameful fandom. confession too as soon as you're done with this all one, right I'll tell, I'll, you show me your shame i'll show you mine how's that it may even be the same one but um oh i doubt it i, I am a self-professed kevin smith fan i love um, kevin smith kevin smith is amazing you can't i i won't spin the camera because that'll make noise but like i have jay and silent <laughs> bob bobbleheads over my shoulder standing on top of a uh uh, a, a, a Clerks animated series lunchbox that I bought at the movies pop up that I went to dressed as Kevin Smith with my movies hat and my long coat on. Uh, and, I, wear, and I still wear Bob, the banky uh, hat. I wear the banky hat yeah. all the time. Oh sure, yeah. Uh, I, at the movies pop up, I went and bought um, a couple of uh, action figures I didn't realize were autographed, and those are hanging out over there. Um, and when I went to go visit my lady in Pennsylvania not long ago, we took a little pilgrimage and went out to, uh, to Red Bank and Leonardo in New Jersey. I checked out the stash and, um, I, I, we went to, uh, to, to the quick stop and took some pictures there and that was really cool. But my, my fandom of, of the, of Kevin Smith tends to be a little bit fair weather. And I will admit that it's a shameful thing. And I don't want to be like, oh, I like his earlier work better. Because everybody has the right to evolve as an artist and do things that are kind of outside their norm. And I also don't want to be like, oh, I only like the Universe stuff. So it's only like when he goes back to the well, am I going to, you know, see anything. But Kevin Smith, I think, kind of went off the rails there for a minute. Um, when he started to get a little older and his life became more about sort of like relationships and less about like geek culture stuff. Like, you know, obviously Clerks, you got Dante and Randall sitting there talking about Star Wars and sex and movies and music and shit and then as kevin smith got a little older he you know jersey girl and chasing amy which were a little bit more mature those were still i think you know despite jersey girl being very misaligned and the reviews i think it was still a pretty good movie um but there are some kevin smith movies that i haven't seen i have never seen red state which partially ties into the uh the horror movie thing it also um, ties big into the westboro baptist church thing yeah, which I really I've should a, see it. I, you know, I've got an autographed copy of that on Blu-ray. Yeah, I, I hear it's good, <laughs> and I will eventually watch that one. I just, I kind of have to get into my yearly. I'm going to see a horror movie mood, and then maybe I'll check it out. But I, I have never seen Tusk. I have not seen Yoga Hosers. There's a whole like genre of like I've I went off the rails from doing. I saw Tusk. <clears throat> yeah, Tusk was interesting. Eh. Haven't seen it, and I don't think I will. Um, as much as I love Kevin Smith, as much as I, I, I love watching his Q and A's, as much as I love all of the, you know, I, I, I went to the store and I talked to Mike Zapsic and bought a couple things. I bought a Quick Stop uh, shirt that I wear. Um, I just there's some movies that he done that he's done that I just I kind of look at him and I go, you know, I, I'm not expecting you all the time. I mean, Zach and Mary was was really good. You know, that was kind of outside your norm, but like I don't, I don't really understand kind of what you're doing sometimes i really don't so uh I, i'm not going to see those because they just don't seem to be for me they're for you that's great you know they're for a certain audience and i'm not in that audience whatever um but i mean for a minute there he was talking about doing a mall rat sequel and i was all about that he was putting stuff up on his instagram where he reassembled the entire cast even like you know uh shannon doherty um and uh I think jeremy london or was it jason london that. i don't know yeah one of the london uh, well, he, yeah 
Well, he kind of better hurry because, I mean, his relationship with the London boy, I mean, it wasn't good when they were shooting the movie and he had all kinds of bad things to say about him afterwards because Kevin Smith pulls no punches and he'll talk shit about you if you had a bad relationship on set. See also Bruce Willis, who he only recently apologized to for Cop Out um, after Bruce kind of had to say he's stepping away from acting due to his aphasia diagnosis, which is very sad. Bruce Willis is a great actor. I love him. Um, but, you know, he's Clerks 2 is in post-production, and it will be coming out in the fall. Uh, no, sorry, Clerks 3. Excuse me, Clerks 3. Clerks 2 is, is already out, and uh, I love that one as well. Um, but Clerks 3 is, is coming out, and it's, um, it's one that I will watch, because self-professed Clerks is my favorite movie of all time. I've seen it well over 100 times. I can quote it from memory. I try not to, because that's just a little too geeky even for me, um, <laughs> and too awkward even for me. But nonetheless, I mean... I, I hate to say that I'm a Fairweather fan of that guy, because I, I, as a person I think he's great, but he's just done some projects I look at and go, what the actual fuck are you thinking? I don't, And you're entitled to do that. Um, he's also got a movie coming out that I, I find kind of interesting, um, because he's, he's always pushing the envelope on stuff. There's a movie that he did called Kilroy Was Here. I'm going to pull up the Wikipedia right, article here. And right, right. That, that was the was uh, a, NFT movie. Yeah. Kilroy Was Here is an upcoming comedy, horror, anthology film directed by Kevin Smith and written by Smith and Andrew McElfresh. The film stars, Az I'm going to pronounce this badly and I apologize, Azita Ganazada, Ryan O'Nan, Harley Quinn Smith, of course, Chris Jericho, and Justin uh, Kuksulane. I can't pronounce that either. But um, The film was scheduled to be released as a non-fungible token in the United States in 2021 by Viewers Cooper Productions as Modcast Pictures. Now, Kevin Smith wrote and directed and produced this movie and then decided, I'm going to release it as an NFT. And NFTs are dumb as shit. I'll say that right now. No ambiguity whatsoever. The whole idea of <laughs> NFTs, especially when it's like, oh, I paid $10,000 for a tiny JPEG of a goddamn ape. They're, they're stupid. They're just stupid. It's a dumb, dumb thing that people with way more money than cents buy. Uh, because you could just screenshot that shit. Yeah, but I own the original. Well, bragging rights for you. Good for Good you. For it you, means yeah. nothing. But this idea of I'm going to write and shoot and produce and release a film wholly and then just put it up for auction and whoever gets it can do whatever they want with it. They can keep it as like like that Wu-Tang album that came out that the Pharma Bro, um, Martin Shkreli bought and just, you know, you're the only one that owns it. We're going to produce one copy and you can do what you want with it. You can put it on the, once it's yours, you own it. You can, you can release pirated copies of it. You can make copies of it and hand them out to your friends. Uh, you can sell the distribution rights if you want. It's yours, you bought it, whatever. Uh, he did that with this movie. And uh, I don't know what exactly happened with it, um, but it, it got bought by somebody, and apparently it's uh, either coming out or has come out um, by whoever bought it. They decided, you know, this, this is something people should see. And Kevin Smith is like, yeah, well, you know, you bought it, I sent it to you, so uh, it's yours to do whatever you want with it. And so now it's going to be a thing that gets released. Um, and I don't know, I'm curious enough about that, even though it's, again, horror, and I don't really see those often, I'll probably check it out, because comedy horror, that's, that's kind of like, I don't listen to country music, but I like alt-country. I like Wilco, I like Uncle Tupelo, there's a couple of alt-country bands I like a lot. Um, comedy horror is kind of different than, than, than horror. Alt-country is like, um, Jeff Tweedy is a guy who is kind of synonymous with it. Um, it's kind of like country, but without the parts of country music that suck. That's the, there's no other way I can really pin it down than that. It's a real moving target. Um, but there's a couple of bands. Uncle Tupelo, um, anything Jeff Tweedy does, Wilco is another all-country band. There's one out of Minneapolis called Farewell Milwaukee that I got into while I was living in the Twin Cities, and they're really good. It's kind of one of those things that's like the, the, the Supreme Court definition of pornography where it's hard to define, but you know it when you hear it. 
And I don't like country music, but I do like alt-country music. So there's that. And kind of like the same thing with, I'm not really a huge horror movie fan, but comedy horror, eh, it's more comedy than horror. Um, so that I will check out. So I'll probably see this if and when it ever sees the light of day or if I have an opportunity to. But, you know, I, I hate to be the Fairweather fan about Kevin Smith stuff, but, like, he's done some things that I just... He's like, man, what are you, what are you thinking with that? But it's not for I me, and that's fine. It is for somebody else. He's at the point else. of his career, I think, where he can just do whatever he wants. And he and throws a lot him. of shit at the wall to see what sticks, I think. Yeah. And and like you say, he, he's, he, he's got the, the finances and the, the wherewithal to do it, so fuck it. Why not, you know? Yeah. I mean, he is an artist at the end of the day, and artists should always feel free to do whatever they want. And it is the option and the uh, prerogative of the entertainment-consuming public to decide what they do and don't want to check out, and that is as it should be. Um, you know, so I'll just say that he's made some stuff that I'm not interested in, but other things he does, I really am. So I still count myself as a fan of the boy. I think he does good work, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he comes up with next, but if it's not for me, I reserve the right to say, yeah, that's not really not for me, and I just won't check it out. All you motherfuckers are gonna pay. You are the ones who are the ball lickers. All right, so now my next fandom here we'll talk about, and this is... I, I get the problematic nature of it. I understand the yes and the no of it. So believe me, I've heard every angle. So there's nothing any of y'all are going to say to me about this that I haven't already heard to death. But. I was, for quite a number of years, a juggalo. There. Oh my. I said it out loud. It's now in the universe. Gee, look at the time, man. I, I got to get moving. Yeah, right. Uh, and actually, I, I was a juggalo when I met you, honestly. But the yeah. fact of the matter is, is I was really big into the Insane Clown Posse. Now, the reason I was into the Insane Clown Posse was because of their uh, their guerrilla style of uh, music making, uh, not being on the radio, not being on video, not really having that mainstream presence something about that kind of jived with me and i really enjoyed uh the underground nature of it all the the sheer you know audacity of it all if you will uh so i really enjoyed that and uh, i mean they're pretty good rhyme rhymers rappers i grew up listening to gangster rap i grew up listening to things like that and 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 they were pretty good at stringing rhymes together uh and this jokey comical killer clown horrorcore kind of way <laughs> Fuck you. and so yeah i mean i was a fan of the insane cloud posse for quite a number of years and i don't know that it was something that i necessarily quote unquote grew out of it was just something that stopped being for me i guess and i still appreciate what they are and what they did every now and again i'll pop in a uh, track on Spotify and listen to a few and you know sometimes it'll be like oh yeah I remember that was pretty good or sometimes it'll be like oh what the hell was I thinking Jesus Christ <laughs> but I I mean I've gone to concerts I purchased albums I had shirts I even had a juggalo pendant for a while one of those uh, hatchet man charms and uh, yeah I just kind of grew out of it so uh I don't know. Say what you will. Well, you know, I I, 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 I don't know that... 
I don't know. I mean, I, I, the Insane Clown Posse is, again, one of those things that is not necessarily for me. But I, I don't think... Like, musically, there are definitely acts out there that are objectively worse. Um, like, we Trapped. bagged on Nickelback a little earlier. Well, you didn't. I bagged on Nickelback a little earlier, and I will. Trapped also... Um, just because they're so problematic politically, and they definitely think they're bigger, they're bigger than their britches. Uh, you know, you had one medium-sized hit on alt rock radio, and it's kind of like, you know, a little cock rocky in that sort of like uh, limp biscuits mold, that sort of corn mold, but like the low rent dollar store great value version of that. <laughs> but the song was okay. Um, you know, it was, it was an all right song. I definitely got down to it back in the day. Again, like one of those things that I heard and didn't hate, but wouldn't go see if I had the option. But, you know, then they started to get all up in their feels about, you know, being uh, Trumpers and being anti-vaxxers and, you know, telling people, yeah, if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. And, and then uh, their their latest album sold 600 copies, so apparently the big go fuck yourself got handed right back to them on a silver platter. And, and then they so, fired yeah. the lead singer, so. Right. And then uh, Creed also is another one that I just can't get into because they sort of, like, are, again, like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of that sort of, like, we're going to make, like, dirgy, baritone-sung kind of gr- post-grunge, grunge rock in the mold of, like, again, like the dollar store Pearl Jam, but we're going to also <laughs> sprinkle some sneaky Jesus in there when you're not paying attention, and that was always bothersome to me. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's definitely bands out there. Like, I don't, I don't hate the, the Insane Clown Posse. I don't disrespect the Insane. The, they might not be for me, but I think that has less to do with who they are or what their subject matter is or what their presentation is than, like, by the time they came along, I'd kind of moved out of my hip-hop phase. But, um, you know, I respect them for being sort of, like, socially conscious. You know, they've done a lot of things. They got a lot of shit for, like, you know, what even are magnets and all that. But, like, whatever. (laughs) Fucking magnets. How do they work? They have, you know, like, the gathering of the Juggalos tends to be a, a, uh, a pretty progressive affair. It draws a certain audience that just kind of wants to have a good time and get sprayed with Fago and put on some face paint. And it might not be harmless. It might be it might be easily mockable, but I think it's harmless. I think it's really a harmless thing, what they're doing. And it's just stupid fun and good for them. You know, I really... Uh, I have respect for them as people, too, which is pretty, you know, a weird thing to say, but... It really is. I remember is. reading... Well, yeah. I, I, I remember reading that Violent J's kid is a furry. Yeah. So Violent J had a furry had a fursuit made, and it's got his makeup job on it. So uh, I saw online somebody and he like, did oh that God, just to support. This. He did that just to support yeah. his daughter's fandom. He goes. It's to not just a furry. It's a juggalo her. furry. And I was like, dude, that's not just a juggalo furry. That's actually fucking Violent J in the fursuit. So you know what? I, say what you want, but that's actually pretty fucking cool. He supports I mean, his kid. What better can you do? Yeah, I mean, not, again, we, every fandom is a valid fandom. We might not disagree with some of them. We might not share them with you. Uh, there's some that you have and that I don't and that vice versa. And there are definitely some fandoms that get kind of like shoved down to the bottom of the social order. Uh, furries, juggalos, LARPers, these are very easy targets for mockery. But in the end of the day, in the grand scheme of things, enjoy what you enjoy. You're not fucking hurting anybody. And it's just good, stupid, harmless fun. Have a good time with it. As long as it's not like politically problematic, like if you're if you're not like actively oppressing people of color or a good component of your fandom is you know we hate the LGBT community, um, whatever it is, as long as you're not hurting anybody, if whatever you're doing is not actively oppressing somebody else, then fucking enjoy yourself. Who gives a shit? You know, I don't. I, if you're having a good time, then so be it, and more power to you. And speaking of LARPing, that's another one. And I'm, I know I'm going to jump the line here and I'm going to go again. But another fandom that I kind of, I didn't fall out with. I just kind of 
diverged from is, as I said, uh, my old bass player, Jamie, was a, a fencing instructor for a lot of years. And, and I want to say about 11 years he taught uh, swords to me. And, and that was through an organization called the Society for Creative Anachronism. Uh, I love Scott. Is, yeah. yeah. And the Renaissance Fairs for years. Those guys are very active in that community. Absolutely. And so the I was a member of the Society for Creative Anachronism. I discovered it quite by accident. Uh, me and my ex-wife were at a, a Denny's of all places. Um, and we saw this group of people walk in in costume and like, you know, gold bands and jewelry and looking all just like they look. And I... I I, I went up to them and I'm like, hey, where is this? Is there a rent fair in town? What is this? And they're like, oh, yeah, just down the street. You know, it's not exactly a rent fair, but go down the street and check it out, you know. And so we go down the street and, and uh, we walk in, you know, fully civilian clothes and just walk around and see people living the life and cooking over fires and 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 sword fighting and armor and jousting on horseback and shit like that and i'm like i don't know what the fuck this is but i want in yeah and so for <laughs> yeah. about a dozen years i was a member of the society for creative anachronism i did uh, uh heraldry was my, one of my big thing you know the people who call out hear ye hear ye all attend the king and the queen and, and the people oh, absolutely that, i was i was that guy because i have a loud booming voice that i'm able to utilize for that that was me also, I was a fencer. I learned uh, Italian Renaissance rapier uh, for about 10, 11 years. And uh, it's just something that I really enjoyed up until... Now, when I got divorced, I moved down to Portland, Oregon area. And I kind of still dabbled. I went to events here and there. And then for the next like three, four years, I still went. Me and my ex-girlfriend, she got into it as well. And so we would go to events and do that thing. But when I moved back up here and I uh, had the opportunity to become a musician, I had a band form up around me. What happened was is I had to kind of pick my passion at that point. Yeah. Because, you know, the times for gigs and the time for practices is all the times that you would be at these events doing the SCA thing. And so I kind of had to put that on the back burner so I could become a musician, which is what I feel like I was supposed to be. So... It wasn't so much that I fell out with the SCA. I still am friends with a lot of these people. Uh, I still really get behind what they do and, and the things that they do and the way they help the community and and things like that. But it's just, it's it's something that I had to pick as far as uh, where I was going to spend my time. And uh -huh. so uh, the time was better spent being a musician, so I became a musician. So what about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that kind of stands out to me as something that I used to be super into. And, uh, all right, you 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 came to your confession as a, as a once and former juggalo, and I, I, I might be able to kind of uh, I don't want to say top you because I'm not a one upper, but I definitely have a uh, a, a dark period of history in my past that I uh, Ooh, not necessarily proud of, but um, it's gonna be good. Get yeah. It. When I was in junior high, when I was like a, a, a preteen and an early teen. A baby beaver. I can't believe I'm going to actually, yeah, I'm actually going to admit this out loud where people can hear it. But I was a major pro wrestling fan. Loved oh. the WWF Nothing at the wrong. Time. Nothing wrong with wrestling. It's, it, it's a particular crowd. I have a lot of friends who yeah. are still into it. 
I mean, back during the Macho Man, Savage, Hulk Hogan, you know, uh, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper era, I was in love with that shit. I, you know, I, oh, yeah. I, even then I knew that it was like, it, it was it was before anybody broke kayfabe and started to admit that, yes, these things, it's sports entertainment, maybe these things are a little bit worked beforehand and we're just trying to give you an acrobatic show, a display of of actual re- pre-Marvel superheroes, well, not pre-Marvel, Marvel's been around since forever, but like pre-Marvel movies, live action superhero, these just larger than life characters with these impossible physiques, uh, good versus evil, faces versus heels, and just, you know, good doesn't always win the battle, but it usually wins the war, and sometimes people change loyalties. It's It was a soap opera for dudes, and I was super yeah. into it. I, I was absolutely all in. I mean, I actually... Uh, I aged out of it, I think, before I had a credit card enough to actually buy any pay-per-view <laughs> stuff. But I watched WrestleManias. Um, I, I, you know, there used to be every Sunday morning. I don't remember. I think it was on cable. It was a syndicated show. But they used to have WWF, like maybe a two-hour Sunday morning wrestling. They didn't put any like major matches on. They saved those for the huge expo-style events that were pay-per-view that you sold tickets to. Um, you know, but they would have like a weekly installment. It was like a, it was a TV series where your favorite characters would come back. Sometimes, you know, you'd see, uh, Leap and Lanny Poffo jumping around in the ring, reading a poem to somebody. You'd see the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, getting clocked upside the head by Hacksaw Jim Duggan's two by four. I mean, it was, it was cartoony. It was really cartoony and it Do was you fun. They had a cartoon, Rock and Wrestling, Hulk Hogan's Rock uh, and Wrestling. I, they absolutely did. I love that They, they show. absolutely did. And, uh, you know, they uh, with Wendy Richter and Fabulous Moolah and Lou Albano and all these cartoony, larger-than-life characters. Iron Sheik. And Mr. Fuji and Hulk Hogan and Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov and all of the sort of Andre like Silver Age wrestlers. Can't forget Andre. Hell to the yeah. I mean, I was super into that. I was, yeah. I was all in. I had all my chips in the middle of the table on pro wrestling for a number of years. Because it really was kind of designed to appeal to a certain sensibility. I was a kid. Um, they were like big, bright characters. There was good versus evil. There were easy to understand themes. And it was exciting to see these guys do these like acrobatic feats of like cartoon violence. It was kind of like, again, like before there were Marvel movies, this was the only way that you could like watch like these larger than life characters, um, beating the shit out of each other and, and, and seeing the loyalties go back and forth and the good versus evil, the classic struggle. It was really storytelling. And I definitely responded to that for a good number of years. Um, you know, and every once in a while I still take a look at stuff and I'm like, ah, those crazy kids are still at it. Anybody that I watched when I was a kid has long since retired due to, like, massive physical issues that, you know, they just can't necessarily get it on anymore. Um, but, you know, at the time, it was really my thing. And I super got into it. And uh, maybe it's a little embarrassing to admit now, but it still was... I, I kind of stand by it. You know what? I, I'm going to own it. I don't have any guilty pleasures. All I really have is pleasures. For the time and, and, and the who I was at that era... Uh, I just really loved that stuff. I bought the wrestling album. I watched the Saturday morning cartoon show. I watched the Sunday morning wrestling shows. Uh, you know, I was a pro wrestling fan. I'll just go ahead and say that. Are you a fan of Macho Man Randy Savage? Ooh, yeah! You should hear his rap album. I think it is. You know, um, it's I'm, fucking I, amazing in all the worst ways. But yeah, so uh, Randy Savage had this uh, hip hop rap collaboration album, and uh, it is absolutely uh, equal parts horrific and amazing at the same time. If you're a rip, I got rap you fan. for three minutes of playtime. Yeah, exactly that. But. Uh, 
so I mean, yeah, I I guess uh, like it's like you said, I don't really have any guilty pleasures. I guess it's all just pleasures and, and just yeah, it, it's all kind of formed this weird mishmash of whatever the hell I've become and whatever you've become, and it's all part of our yeah. background and just. It makes us the people that we are. And, and Last thing I'll mention, the last thing okay. I'll bring up is, is, is kind of a weird... And, all right, this is, this is something that I never was never not a fan of, but it kind of went away for a while and then came back as a thing. Um, when I was a kid, uh, late 70s, early 80s, there was a, a dominant form of music on the radio. At the time, it was referred to as AM Gold. Um... But in latter years, it became referred to as Yacht Rock. Now, yacht rock. I say that to a lot of people, and a lot of people say, so what is Yacht Rock? And then I kind of have to, like, encapsulate a little bit and say, well, Yacht Rock is the sort of, like, AM Gold, again. It's a sort of, like, late 70s, early 80s soft rock, um, sort of, like, characterized by not a lot of guitars, a little more keyboards, like, very soft production. Um the presence of either Kenny Loggins or Michael McDonald or Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald is usually a pretty good indicator, if not an adjacent uh, sort of thing. Um, what about Messina? Yeah, uh, is he, absolutely. Does he need to play Loggins and Messina? He does. Jim Messina is definitely in the mix. But, you know, Yacht Rock was, the, it, was it was just popular music uh, during the early 80s. That's all it was. It was just what was on the radio. And then, at one point, just before YouTube came out, a couple guys that I used to know, um, Rob Schrab and Dan Harmon. Now, Dan Harmon went on to be the showrunner of Community and uh, Rick and Morty, previously mentioned Rick and Morty, and Rob Schrab uh, also was the showrunner on the Sarah Silverman Show and Comedy Central and also was the screenwriter on Monster House, the animated film. These guys went out to Hollywood eventually, but when I knew them, they were members of an improv troupe called the Dead Ale Wives, which, with whom my old band in Milwaukee shared members. So we were kind of their pseudo-house band. We scheduled regular gigs with them to be their kind of musical accompaniment. And in the event that somebody canceled, uh, that was a musical guest because uh, half of our members had to be there anyway. We would just kind of show up and fill in. So I knew these guys in the improv troupe they worked with. And then when they got out to Hollywood, one of the first things they did, and this is like right before YouTube came along, they set up this, this monthly viewing party of a thing called Channel 101. And it was kind of an underground hit in Hollywood for amateur filmmakers because... You could come with a five-minute television show, and they called it a television show, you, just a short film that you made yourself, real DIY, real guerrilla, and you could show it, at, you, you could sign up for a lottery slot, and you could show it at this this uh, viewing party that hundreds of people would go to, at, like outdoor, they'd project on the side of buildings, they'd go to bars and take them over, and you had five minutes to make an impression in your quote-unquote episode. And if the audience response voted you back, I think the top five people at any given viewing party got invited to make a subsequent episode of their television show and it was sort of like this real again like guerrilla diy sort of comedy thing and they would do these monthly viewing parties where people would make these episodes of television and there's a show called yacht rock that uh was a, a fictionalized take on again michael mcdonald and kenny loggins in in la in the 80s kind of being the guys who were the progenitors of this musical form so yacht rock became the name by which this form of music was known. And then it kind of took off again because, you know, everything old is new again and nostalgia is a big deal. Um, and so Yacht Rock became a thing. And there was a Yacht Rock station that kind of comes back seasonally on uh, Sirius XM radio. Uh, there are whole Yacht Rock channels on Spotify. I have been to see a Yacht Rock tribute band called Yacht Rock Review that's out of Atlanta three times. Once in Virginia, once in Chicago, and once in California, in San Francisco. 
Um, and they're fucking fantastic. They're just really good. There's, it's like a seven-man band, and they do all of the, the Yacht Rock hits. And if you still, at this point of me rambling about it, don't have a good handle on what Yacht Rock is, go to YouTube and punch in Yacht Rock Review and spell it like review like the band, not review like uh, a, a review of a movie. R-E-V-U-E, Yacht Rock Review. And look up their three-and-a-half or four-minute long demo video. It's about, it's a, it's a collage, it's a mishmash, it's a mashup of like 10, 11, 12, 13 songs uh, that they do. And uh, you can not only hear kind of how they perform those songs, but also like those 12, 13 songs are a real quick, easy snapshot. This is what Yacht Rock is, and anything that you think kind of like exists in the same space as this is probably also Yacht Rock. But on in the interest of like no more goodly pleasures, just pleasures... I absolutely, as much as I am into, like, crunchy 90s rock, as much as I do like me some math metal once in a while, uh, I am an unabashed and unashamed fan of Yacht Rock. I love that shit. I gotta tell you something. I'm really excited about it. Uh, for the first time today, I woke up, I came to the store, and I, I feel confident to say to you that if you don't take this Michael McDonald DVD that you've been playing for two years straight off, I'm going to kill everyone in the store and put a bullet in my brain. David, what do you suggest we play? I don't care. Anything. I would rather I would rather watch Beautician and the Beast. I would rather listen to Fran Drescher for eight hours than have to listen to Michael McDonald. Nothing against him, but if I hear Yamo be there one more time, I'm going to Yamo burn this place to the ground. Uh, musically, it's good, you know, but not only is it musically good, but it's also very nostalgic for me because it was the dominant form of music on the radio, on like top 40 pop radio when I was a kid, when I first started to wake up and realize I was a human that had preferences about things like music, movies and cartoons and comics and entertainment. Um, that was just kind of the ubiquitous form of music that was on the air. And I still, to this day, absolutely fucking love that shit. And I don't apologize for it. Lana. 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 Lana! Danger zone. Yep. Dude, and don't ever tell me that they're not listening. The algorithm is listening. Ah. Oh. Okay, for those of you that can't see, <laughs> uh, my boy Saint just got served an ad of um, the Macho Man Randy Savage Funko Pop. Yep. Bright as day. Yeah, your phones are phone. definitely listening to you. They are. So... Tell us what you feel is as a fandom that you've either matured into or matured out of, uh, guilty pleasures or just pleasures. I mean, let us know where you stand with with your fandoms. We're definitely always interested in hearing uh, what you have to say. We just got a real lovely uh, email from your friend Smo the other day. Yes, we really did. Cool. Smo, who's going to be a guest on the podcast as soon as I can get my head out of my ass long enough to line that up with him. <laughs> and also, uh, Josh, if you're listening as well, we haven't forgotten about you. Uh, we're just kind of really notoriously, habitually shitty about preparation. Like, yeah. um, I think I, I, I texted you with, here's what we should talk about today, because I was thinking about this about an hour before we jumped on the mic. So <laughs> our preparation is not where it needs to be. We kind of just wing this a lot of the time. But Smo, Josh, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We have not forgotten about you. We really want to get you on here so we can talk about your fandoms with you and we'll be doing that very soon and if you want to reach out and get in touch with us there's a number of ways you can do that you can hit us up on facebook which is facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom you could drop us an email just like smo did and just like josh has you can hit us up at fuel your fandom at gmail.com 
Or you can also drop us an email at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. That's if you have a show idea, if you have a guest suggestion, especially if it's yourself, or of course, if you have a pie recipe. And you can find us on Twitter at Fuel underscore Your. You can find us on Instagram at at Fuel Your Fandom. And we're always taking donations for the Fuel the Future charity program that puts comics into the hands of underprivileged kids. And we're at at Fuel Your Fandom, at Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal. So we love to hear from you there. And of course, you can always find us at any of the places you find fine podcasts. We're on Audible, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, any place you find fine podcasts. And of course, if you're impatient like I can be, my boy Saint always posts the latest and greatest episode every Friday morning at feelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com. And that's where you can hear us freshest and earliest. And we love it when you do. Yes, in fact, uh, every Friday about 8 a.m. I try to shoot for the same time. Definitely reach out, get in touch with us. We want to talk with you. This was never intended to be just a one-way conduit of conversation. We want to hear from you. But we do. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Fury Fandom Podcast. And from Jim and I, we want to remind you that everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take care.